Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and thanks for joining us on Founders and Friends for another awesome podcast. Let's give a quick shout out to the Cruise Consulting accounting team. We're very fortunate. We have a ton of people at Cruise who work on the monthly books for our clients and get them all set up, due diligence ready, rocking every month, answering all the clients' questions, making all those adjustments. And there's no better moment for a founder and for us, really, when founder says, hey, I think I'm going to get a term sheet. Are my books ready for diligence? And we get to say, yes, they are. Fire away. Send them over. Give them access. That is a great feeling. It's the feeling that lets us know we've done a job very well done. And nothing is better than watching that cash hit the bank account. So if you are a venture-backed startup, you're going out to fundraise, maybe check us out. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. We love what we do. At taping here, I think we have 575 clients. Clients raise over a billion dollars this year. So we know what we're doing. And hopefully we can help you be successful in your fundraise. All right, let's get to the podcast. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise from Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Katie Shea from Divergent Capital. Welcome, Katie. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Well, we talked a couple months ago when you were kind of in the thick of the fundraise for Divergent Capital, and I just really appreciated who you are and where you come from, and so I wanted to have you on the podcast. Uh, Maybe you can start off just by telling everyone how you had the idea and and the motivation to start Divergent. Yeah. So I don't know if this resonates with with everybody, but I feel like the older I get, the more I think about my childhood, (laughs) and I like everything I think that most people end up doing somehow goes back to their childhood. So. I was really fortunate. Um, you know, I grew up on, you know, in the Queens, New York, Queens, Long Island border. Um, my dad was a firefighter uh, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom of four. Um, but over the years, you know, my my dad had started this, this small sign company that basically like I had the privilege of watching grow over my entire childhood. And my mom, even though she stayed home, she was always dabbling in something like she, she had like a daycare business and a home organizing business. They like would get involved in real estate and, you know, rentals and things like that. So I, I just had that around my whole life um, because my mom had four kids in seven years I think sometimes a a form of babysitting was like, you're going to work with your dad, (laughs) like get out of here for a couple (laughs) hours. Um, And I think in hindsight, like that was, that was so hugely impactful, right? Because at a a young age, I like knew what a purchase order was and you would pick up calls and like deal with customers as like a 13 year old. Um, So it definitely taught me a lot. And I think got me really comfortable from a really young age, like, just being in, in business settings. That's my 10 month old banging. Oh, on the all good. All good. <laughs> um, all good. Well, I was going to say, I remember, I'm remembering now why we hit it off is because my dad was a firefighter. I I've lived a similar life to you. And, and the cool thing about being a firefighter is you have a lot of spare time to do the stuff you're talking about, like start a business on the totally. side or, so I saw my parents do the same thing. So we live parallel lives on yeah. different coasts. So yeah. I, I remember this now. So for me, it was like at a pretty young age, I think there was just this like natural, obvious path for me. I was going to do something entrepreneurial that that took me to go to Stern uh, business undergrad at NYU. Um, I studied finance and marketing with a, a minor in entrepreneurship. I was like completely the 
like the dork, the startup dork on campus that like ran the entrepreneurship club and like launched this cafe that was for students, by students. They got really close to the dean and actually helped her like launch that entrepreneurship minor. My, let's see, junior year, uh, basically I was interning at Goldman Sachs. I was working on the trading floor. My best friend from school was interning at City uh, at their trading floor. Um, we're both pretty petite. You know, we were in heels all day. We were pretty com- like miserable after work. And so basically spent senior year launching this footwear brand, um, which was like a total departure. I remember going to my uh, my boss at Goldman at the time and they, you know, they basically like, hey, like give me an offer. And they were like, are you going to take it? And I was like, can I like try to start this footwear business and get back to you in six to 12 months? Like probably with my tail between my legs, but we were really fortunate. We never had to do that. So even at that point, I did not know what like venture capital was. Um, I grew up surrounded by small business owners that like didn't take on debt. And um, so we, yep. we, bootstrapped, we bootstrapped the business. This was like, you know, 2009 to 2013. You know, we, we grew it to, you know, multi-millions in top line profitability. Uh, we factored against our receivables to grow. We, you know, sold, you know, product into Neiman Marcus and Macy's and Bloomingdale's. And I just really look at those years of like where I kind of earned some founder stripes. Um, you know, it wasn't like yeah. a sexy, like tech unicorn exit, but, you know, hiring people, firing people, like, you know, figuring out warehousing and, you know, 3PL systems, you know, trying to hit, you know, super, super aggressive revenue targets. That's, that's what we did, right. For, for a couple of years. Yeah. And in some ways, when you don't have the venture capital, you actually learn those lessons harder and faster than someone who has the kind of the venture capital cushion Yeah, 100%. because there's like, no, there's nowhere else to get money. You right. are, you either figure that problem out or you're out of business. Right. You know? I think it was lucky in a way. I didn't know too much about that world because it forced us to go for profitability right away because we needed to pay ourselves. <laughs> um, and yeah. it, you know, we sold the business in 2013. And I think if we didn't like have EBITDA, <laughs> that transaction never would have happened. And for me, you know, it was interesting. My, my partner, uh, Susie Levitt, she still works for that company today, the business that we sold to. Oh, wow. And like what we, what she realized in those, you know, five years building, uh, this manufacturing company, was like she she was really like the designer at heart like fashion and like design runs through her blood i don't have a fashion bone in my body i was more of like the sales and marketer i just loved like building i loved like the zero to five million yeah. zero to ten million stage and so we were really lucky yeah. because like selling the business like i wanted to leave she wanted to stay i realized that i loved that starting point um i was a bit more sector agnostic yeah. and she realized she loved the industry so well, that'll be one of those lessons that sticks with you for a long time, though, in VC, because I think one of the hardest things for venture capitalists is to to make the call on when to sell the company, but then also be able to call back on that experience you have with the founders and be like, I've been there, too. Like, yeah. what, do more, you, what do you want? Here's what I see. I've been through this. Totally. It's, I think it's more of the latter, especially in a really competitive financing ecosystem right now. Don't get me wrong. There's brilliant career investors out there, but founder to founder empathy is like a, a, you can't really fake that, right? Like you can't talk in the same yeah, way totally, if you haven't totally. lived through that experience as a founder operator yourself. So yeah, I mean, I spent my, you know, I, from there basically spent my career moved into the venture backed tech side of the house. Um, I had gotten yep. really interested in retail technology, 
while I was running like a manufacturing business that sold into retail, I could not believe I was getting like purchase orders via fax machine for like $700,000 purchase <laughs> orders. And yeah. You know, 2013, I like I was dealing with EDI systems that were built in like the 1960s to to manage all of our warehouse processes. Um, so I ended up going to a retail tech company called Order Groove. Um, super early, you know, you could think of them as Amazon subscribe and save for everybody that's on Amazon. It's like this white label yep. um, subscription, yep. you know, commerce platform. They've done exceptionally well. I was their, you know, first, you know, was their head of marketing. From there, I I joined a, a company called Homejoy. Rest in peace. That oh, was yeah. a, that was a bittersweet yeah. experience. I was the GM of New York to oversaw all of our headcount in New York and you know, three hundred plus independent contractors. Oh, they that was my first lesson of like things not going to plan. Like I joined pretty yeah yeah yeah. I saw I'm that going to be the next unit. It was there. it was. Totally. It was kind of like a high profile company. And then it caught people by surprise when it yeah. came crashing down. So I'm sure you kind of learned a lot of lessons, both on the upside, upside and then the totally. And even like being in the business now, so many lessons that apply to like my investing yeah. world, which is like, they raised too much too fast. They had to basically scale to 30 cities in six months because they had raised so much quality of the product. Yeah, down. Yeah. I think at yep. the end of the day, you know, you were dealing with, it was a, it was a home services marketplace, but you're still dealing with people, people that had to like show up at other yeah. people's yeah. homes. So I think, you know, yeah. a lot, you know, in hindsight, it was like, it wasn't just as easy as like, Hey, this is a super scalable tech platform. Right. And you know, the, the growth was fueled on, at the time, people were still using like Groupon to get off the ground and to, you know, get brand awareness. And there's a lot of conversion data, but like no engagement and retention data, right? So obviously that's something now I spend way more time looking at uh, from the investing side. So fast forward, you know, I I started angel investing um, shortly after I sold the business. Um, so she made my first angel investment in 2014. And it was like not, I'm not institutionally trained. My partner, Lucia, is, I'll tell you more about her in a minute, but it was very organic for me. You know, we had been lucky enough to win some of those 25 under 25, 30 under 30 founder awards. I just got to know other young founders and they became my friends. And when they had yeah. ideas that were much better than my own, I was like, hey, can I like put some money into your company? I just sold mine. <laughs> liquidity for the first time. And that really snowballed. I got really lucky. I ended up investing in some incredible companies very early and you know the word kind of spreads from there and about four years ago now officially came over to investing i lovingly say officially came over to the dark side and i had made <laughs> like 20 angel investments at that point it was my favorite part of the day like uh, it was you know these were small personal checks but to be able to sit with founders hear their story i just have so much respect for what founders are doing they're like putting everything on the line for this idea. They're putting yeah. reputation, they're putting income, like getting their partners on board uh, for what they're about to go through. So once I realized venture was an industry, I was, I was kind of like hooked on that idea. I was like, I can do this for a living potentially and kind of knew that I was never going to look back. <laughs> and that led you to Divergent? Like that's when the moment you're like, hey, I, I got to yeah, start a so fund? It this. actually led me to a small fund here called Kairos, which is where I was a general partner for um, a few years before starting Divergent. And honestly, like I, I love that team so much. You know, they're more consumer and consumer tech. The the Divergent story, I'd say, 
in a way starts like eight, nine years ago, although I don't think either Lucy or I knew it at the time. Lucy and I first met in New York, um, you know, at a tech conference. She was a deep tech investor. You know, she was institutionally trained. She, you know, she was at Graycroft and then 11.2 Capital. She was previously at Bridgewater. And, you know, she was investing in stuff that like seemed crazy to me, right? Like robotics, space tech. And it was really refreshing because we, we connected immediately, I think from an ethos perspective, both of us kind of felt like we were like underdogs coming into the venture community in New York. Uh, Lucy emigrated from Wuhan, China when she was you know, 12 years old. Oh, wow. Her mom got a job at John Hopkins. Like I was raised by entrepreneurs and small business owners and she was raised by scientists and academic and technologists. And like our yeah. paths are so representative of that even to this day. Um, <laughs> so the foundation for Divergent was again, like really organic we actually found it refreshing for those first couple of years of the friendship that there wasn't a ton of professional overlap. Um, sometimes the world can seem a bit like incestuous and insular in New York. And, you know, anytime Lucy was talking about something, I was like, Oh, I've never heard of that before. And vice versa, which was so different than some of my other conversations, which is like, Oh yeah, of course you're chasing that founder and talking to that founder and investing in the company. So I think that was the first aha moment of like, wow, there's like our worlds are really different. You know, is there, is yeah. there anything which like, is a good thing good about that right and so a couple yeah. of years ago we noticed something was starting to change um and we were calling each other a lot more on the professional side of the house so we were seeing founders and getting excited about companies that like they didn't perfectly fit in lucy's deep tech portfolio they didn't perfectly fit in my consumer generalist portfolio to us that was twice as exciting because these are founders that want to take on like big tech or science risks and big go-to-market or commercialization risks. And our thinking was like, all right, there's no such thing as too much risk, right? Like if you're an early stage VC, that's kind of the job. As long as you price that risk appropriately, yeah. like there's still huge Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah. We talk about Tesla, right? We're like, okay, obviously there's like, and there's like innovation on, you know, self-driving cars, like uh, uh, batteries at the beginning. Um and, but along with that, Tesla was like, Hey, we're also going to sell cars direct to consumer. And a lot of people that missed Tesla in the beginning were like, no, like we buy cars on parking lots. That's how we buy cars. And like, that will never change. But like, you know, if you now look at the market cap of Tesla, like that's clearly a great example of where kind of taking risks on both sides have paid off really well and created a ton of defensibility. Yep. So we started angel investing um, out of a shared LLC. We just put some personal capital in a couple of years ago, not really with an end goal in mind, just to kind of like, you know, see, hey, like, are there enough companies out there that we both get excited about, given how different our backgrounds are? Can we can we find these founders? Can we either like get excited and help create the round for them or like get into a round if it's competitive? Generally, we're more interested in the former. Um, and we invested in five companies pre-product, pre-revenue. They've all done exceptionally well, you know, raise fall on capital of fuel growth. And, you know, Lucy and I spent a lot of time asking ourselves, like, does the world really need another venture fund? Especially because I was like super pregnant with my second. It was like the middle of COVID. Yeah. You know, There's like all the reasons not to do it. So I think we really took took the exercise really seriously of like, is this does it make sense to turn this like angel vehicle side hustle into an institutional strategy that like, and a firm that will hopefully be around for decades. And so yeah, our founders are really the ones that like got us over the ledge there. You know, they were the ones that were like, Hey, 
Like you met us earliest, like you put together the memo, you shared it with 17 of your friends. Like you guys made this round happen. You did all the work and gave up up all of the value because you're not rich kids. And, you know, they're like more, more than that, you're a really unique partnership on the cap table because like there's both a deep tech expert and like a consumer commercialization expert. And usually what our founders saw is like, whoever was on the cap table, they were one or the other. Like, and they're like, you actually understand both sides of this business. Do both. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. We set out earlier this year to raise a, a debut fund. Well, if I, if I may also like selfishly, you said earlier, it was your favorite part of the day. It's like, there's a little bit of like, should a venture, another venture capital firm exist? Yes, probably. But like selfishly, you also have to, you, it sounds like you listen yeah. to yourself yeah. and like what makes you happy and what, you know, like that, I think there's a lot, okay. like sometimes people, they go through life, not taking that leap because it's too scary or yeah. even though they know that's what they want to do. And so kudos to you for taking that leap. Yeah. Hey, it's Scott Orn. And we're going to take a quick break from the podcast to give a shout out to the cruise tax team. Gosh, it's so nice to have an in-house tax team. I can't even tell you. Uh, we have some really amazing professionals on the team. It's over, I think it's 13 people now. And we do everything from your federal state income tax return, state franchise tax filings, R&D tax credits. Those are pretty popular these days. And guess what? They're there for you when you go through diligence. A lot of people don't know this, but you actually go through tax diligence, not just operational kind of financial diligence, but you do go through tax diligence. So it's nice to have Vanessa Cruz on the phone with your VCs. And with the accounting firm they hired to diligence all your stuff and the law firm they hired to diligence all your stuff, Vanessa knows what she's doing. She's done this a million times. And, uh, and not, it's not just Vanessa. We have a really great team of tax professionals that will do those calls too. It's, it's kind of sometimes the difference between getting around closed or having it take another two weeks because something was disorganized and the tax compliance wasn't done correctly. We hear those horror stories from clients that come to us. So, hey, if you want Cruz's tax team on your side, we're here for you. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. Thanks. One of my early angel investments was um, into uh, Bomba Socks. Founders was a good friend, Dave Heath. And I remember talking to him about it. And we're fortunate he's he's also a backer of Divergent. You know, they're on the IPO track. Uh, they've done exceptionally well. One of the most capital efficient teams I've ever met. Um, and when, you know, I was talking to him about like, you know, should we do this? You know, does the world need another venture fund? He's like, that's not the right question. He's like, the right question is like, do you love it? Yeah, and you can, yeah. do you think you can be top decile at it? And I was like, yes, I do. It's like, that's, so we got to do it. It's great advice. Great advice from your friend. Yeah. Um, so that was a very long, uh, version of, of how I got here. Well, first of all, it's great that you had that probably that angel track record to show prospective investors. Cause they probably got a lot of comfort out of that. And you kind of like live the life of a seed stage VC. And there's something else you said in that, which was you helped create the round or make the round happen, which for some of these early investors, you are early companies you invested in, but that is really the role. People don't always know that that is the role of like the, the lead in a seed stage deal. Like by signing Katie Shea to that term sheet and pricing the deal, you've, you've given the founder not only money, but you've given them a reputation boost right. and something to show other people right. some cloud. come into yeah. the round. Like that is actually, actually, I think that is one of the biggest services a seed stage investor can pro- provide a startup, like making it okay 
or yeah. creating the social proof for other people to get right. behind the company. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like one of the things that Lucy and I always bonded over, um, and we don't think it's coincidence, like when we look at our, our unicorns, our soon to be unicorns, they're not the Silicon Valley cool kid founders. Yeah, like yeah. They're, they were like the young visionaries with like no proven track record to underwrite. They're, you know, the PhDs or the scientists that like didn't know how to speak VC. That to us is where we get the most excited. Like yep. there's enough funds out there like chasing those founders. Um, but we don't think it's, we don't think it's coincidence that those have been, you know, where our outliers are coming. Yeah. From. And they're grateful for life because you help them get yeah. on the journey to and start their dream. And when you give that happens. term sheet. When you give yeah. that term sheet, right? And you know, we we're fortunate. We have been doing this for you know a decade plus. We've literally only been in the early stage tech communities our whole yeah, lives yeah. as like founders, angels, investors. We've never done anything else. Like we we literally just gave a term sheet last week to somebody and like introduced them to twenty five potential co investors. And like now that now the rounds are we're subscribed. That's right? amazing. Like, this That's is a amazing. founder in Boulder, Colorado. He, He's he's brilliant. Um, his CTO right now is in Europe, and he was a machine learning software engineer at Google. But they just didn't have those networks. Like they didn't know that they could get the warm intro to, to yeah. fund. So yeah, that's that's one of my favorite parts of the job. Right, is like betting on people before it's obvious to everybody else that you should bet on them. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, maybe talk about divergent strategy. And also the type of founders you're looking for or looking to meet. So when we think about founders, um, so let me take a step back. You know, I I would call us. You know, it's it's a twenty five million dollar fund. It's a micro fund by every definition of the word. Um, we're looking to back. You know, about twenty to twenty five of you know the next world changing you know, pre seed companies. So what that means in practice is we're usually investing two fifty to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in really the first like round that they're raising. There's a lot of nomenclature now, but let's just call it like the first 500K to $2 million that this yeah. that yeah. this founder is thinking of taking into the company. Yep. Um, we're hoping to come in and institutionalize that really painful angel round that some of these less, you know, quote unquote connected folks are, are putting together to get this thing off the ground. In a dream situation, we're going to lead or co-lead that round. We think of ourselves, you know, happy talk portfolio companies. I think from afar, it looks pretty generalist. As people get to know Lucy and I, it, it all starts to make more sense. It's usually like a matrix of you know, technology clients Lucy knows really well or gets really excited about. So that's like robotics, AI, machine learning, biotech, um, and a market or sector I know really well. Uh, so we've done you know logistics, you know commerce tech, ed, um, ed tech, digital health. Um, so a variety of different like business models, founders and geographies, but it really, you know, it really comes down to, we think there's, you know, a real tech or science innovation and like a really unique insight about the customer commercialization or go to market. We are looking for founders who are literally obsessed with what they're doing. <laughs> like it's, I think that word is a negative connotation, but I, I always come back to it because the founders were biased towards like they haven't been thinking about this idea for like days or weeks or months. Like they've been thinking about it for years or decades. And for, somehow like a lot of pieces of their lives have like brought them to this point. We definitely, uh, we definitely have a bias towards, you know, founders that are solving some problem that they've experienced on their own in some way, either as a consumer or as a professional, you know, if it's a B2B company and they just have a unique perspective, right. About, 
what the market is missing. We we call it like the difference between the bottoms up sales pitch and the top down sales pitch. Like when we get on an intro call and a founder, you know, is immediately going into like, hey, it's a hundred billion dollar market. And if we get like one percent of it, blah, blah, blah. It's like that's not like how like the founders we gravitate towards. They're like, I interviewed 300 customers. I had this hypothesis. I was actually wrong. What I realized from these 300 interviews is this is the unique insight or like, this is the problem. And, you know, I'm the best to do this because of X, Y, Z. Like it's more of a bottoms up, like analysis of how they're thinking about the opportunity. It tends to focus a lot more on like product and customers than it does on market size. Well, also when we talked off camera before we turned the mics on, you also talked about how kind of concentrated, like the different, maybe explain the difference yeah. between the typical seed stage fund and how they invest yeah. versus what you're doing. Yeah. We're going to invest in 20 to 25 companies over the, the course of the fund. We've already invested in five of the 25. Most early stage funds, at least what I'm seeing these days, are investing in anything from like 35 to 50 companies per fund. And like literally you can be an amazing investor either way. Um, but I think, you know, this high concentration, high conviction route is just more aligned with Lucy and, and my personality. Um, we we look more to like the Unisquare Ventures of the world and IA Ventures of the world where, you know, we're doing one investment per partner per quarter. And so like one, that means we can actually be smart and like due diligence too. We can actually like, get our hands dirty with these founders for like a couple months post that investment. That tends to be where we're the most helpful anyway of like, Hey, you now have money in the bank. Like what should your, what should your go to market look like? Like how should you prioritize the tech science team? Like where does budget go? How do you measure it? What's the dashboards like? So that I think really differentiates us in the market to founders, especially when, when, when we are competing with, you know, other firms or other term sheets to say like, look, like this is not a spray and pray like strategy, right? Like we're, we're very intentional and we're, we're trying to go as like big as we can on, on these companies. We actually just sent a LP update last week and I'm, I'm going to botch numbers here a little bit, but it was like, we basically saw over 800 like opportunities um, come through the pipeline, either inbound or outbound last quarter. Uh, That's amazing. We, That's we a lot. Engaged. That's a lot. It's too much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we we engaged with thirty percent of them, so that's like we had a first call or a first meeting. We gave two term sheets, and we ultimately invested in one company. So that's yeah, like a yeah. sub 05 percent investment rate. So no, I, that that appeals to I think RLPs, and and more importantly, like that's just that's just how we like to operate. Yep, yep. But and I think you said this, but like you uh borrowing union squares like high conviction high focus but I, as i told you before uh we got we started recording like i've followed them for 15 years or 20 mm -hmm. i don't even know maybe 18 years on the blogs and they're doing very well and you're also there's something we talked about also before we turn the mics on which is just the overall energy like you're in new york yeah and the, it feels like the entrepreneurial energy and the city's on fire i'm so like long. maybe talk about that for a second <laughs> Yeah, I'm the only like lunatic that moved back to the city with two kids under three years old. Um, Cause I'm just hopelessly addicted to this place. I think because I went to undergrad here, like it's even more entrenched. Like yeah, it's not yeah. just like I've been here for 17 years. It's is, like, is Stern entire, NYU? Yeah. Is that, is that okay? Yeah, I lived in. I did a summer in in the Westville. I worked for Beck and Dickinson, a big company, but I lived in the West Village, and I can see how 
I was right next to NYU yeah. and I can see how you'd be addicted to it. Yeah. And it could put that kind of that blueprint or, or print on your life. So, but you, the cool thing is you deserve a lot of credit for, I think one thing that's coming up in just in this one conversation is like, you have a feeling about something and you act on it, you know, yeah. and that's, that's actually what really like moving back really to New York stage. or <laughs> taking the leap to start the venture capital fund or, yeah. you know, like that, that actually is like one of those character traits that really, when you look back on your life, if you do that and you listen to yourself, you tend yeah. to live like a happier life. Whenever I have big decisions to make like personal or professional investment, like I, it's really an analysis for me of like, what is the worst case scenario and what is the best case scenario? And can I handle both? I can usually handle both. And so like, just what do you want to do? <laughs> um, and if you can't handle both, like don't do it. Right. Yeah, um, totally. So it's like a pretty easy decision-making framework for me, but, but yeah, I think well, the thing about New York, I mean, I'm now, I've been doing this for so long. I feel like I have like some really strong West coast communities and East coast communities too. And there is a difference like there, you know, one, I mean, the funds here are just younger and smaller by definition, but I think like I've just found the, you know, Silicon Valley, West coast, like it, it's a bit more like intellectual heady, like vision, big visions. Um, New York, I think is just still, it's a still a little bit, it's more scrappy and resourceful. It's more analytical, I think, because, we're kind of like a finance Wall Street city at the core, like that just like trickles into the types of founders and the types of pitch decks. And I over 50 percent of, of my investments are, are in New York. So I'm I'm pretty. That's good. That's good. <laughs> well, I this has been amazing and we have to wrap it up here. Yeah. But can you tell everyone how to reach out to you if they want to pitch you or introduce you to? A founder or LP or how do they get a hold of you and, and how they reach out? Yes, um, absolutely. So our website is divergenthq.com, D-I-V-E-R-G-E-N-T-H-Q.com. It's very light. Um, basically, we just give, let our portfolio companies do all the talking. So it's literally just the job boards of all of our portfolio companies that are hiring right now. And you can you can send us an email at hello at divergenthq.com. That'll go to Lucy and myself. Beautiful. Katie, thank you so much. Congrats on starting your firm. It's so hard to start a venture capital firm. And so congratulations. It's and a labor of love. We're, we're pretty proud. We did our first close, you know, literally in April. Um, so I feel like seven months start to finish for our debut microfund during global pandemic fundraising on Zoom. It could have been worse. <laughs> it could have, but you did it. And huge congratulations. Thank and you. And best of luck. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks for Thank having you. me. All right. Bye. Bye. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise. Founders and friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Olds.